the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our very special guest. He has traveled all the way from Borneo to be with us today in studio. He is Ronnie Habor of Living Waters Village. Information, by the way, about the ministry online at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. The story of what God is doing in this part of the world is detailed inside the pages of a new book that Ronnie has co-authored with Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, and the book again available online by going to livingwatersvillage.com. Ronnie, I would imagine some listening might think, boy, it, it, it takes enough faith to step out and say, we're going to leave the comfort of home in Australia, the western part of the world, we're going to head down to Borneo in those early days to do what? beyond share the gospel it really wasn't a clear picture how god was going to facilitate all of this the resources all of these myriad of of questions that were yet unanswered now here you are 20 years later people would say it must have taken just enough faith to be able to decide to to yield to god and be obedient to travel from australia to borneo now in the ensuing years to have watched god bring about miracle after miracle after miracle. In the early days, you rescued just a handful of kids. Now I understand that Living Waters Village has over a thousand children in it. Not, not quite yet, but we're moving towards that, yes. Heading toward over yes. a th- nearly a thousand children. You have a school there, uh, it's, it, and it's a self-sufficient uh, facility as well, is it not, in terms of being able to we're provide a lot on of that us? Well. Well, right? Not but, quite yet, but we're working on that. <laughs> it, it's amazing to see what God has done and the lessons that you have learned in terms of, of reliance upon him and further surrender to him must absolutely be amazing. Well, yes, yeah, I, I don't look at it that way. I just look at it, God is God. So for some people, they, they marvel at, you know, how come you have so much faith? And I think, well, how come you don't have so much faith? If you truly say that you that you are a Christian and that you are his disciple, then, okay, well, then he's, he's, your, he's your God. He's your Is the answer to that question a lot like the guy that works out in the gym? We know one guy, big muscle and, and buffed, and, and we go, wow, how come you have so many muscles? And looks at the other guy who doesn't say, well, how come you don't? And, and the difference between the two is one exercises and the other one does not. Is this a matter of exercising one's faith, that, that we grow our faith by exercising our faith? Well, I think, yeah, I think um, the, the relationship that you have with God, of course, is that you want to know God more and more, right? I mean, we are really, uh, let's face it, we only know God just a little bit, sure. really, of who He is. So, so then your your relationship with God, the time that you spend with Him, and the, and the desire to know Him more and more, of course, then God is is God, and He will hear your prayers and answer your prayers, and so He will help you with that. And so it's just like your best friend. So you you He's there all the time. He never lets you down. 
And so you just know that he'll come through. He says, he doesn't say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to call you to do this, but I'd like to see you do it, you know. I'd like to see you uh, um, uh, raise those kids and, and that. Of course, he doesn't do that. He's, he's, he gives you a task and he always gives you the resources, but we've got to step out of it because we've got to completely trust in him. It is not a matter of he'll give everything in our hands and therefore, uh, okay, now go and do the job because then you don't require faith. That's right. So he, he gives you a task to do, knowing full well that you can't do it on your own. And if you do try and do it on your own, you're going to just make a mess of it. You really need him. So do you really want um, him t- uh, to be with you all that time? Yes, you do. I mean, I know that, and I say it to my leaders over there as well. You know, this place always, Jesus has to be the head of this place. And he, we always have to be totally dependent and reliant on him for everything. So that's how I want it. I don't want it to turn into an institution. I don't want us, us to figure it all out. I don't want us to have it all sorted out and have it worked out and have it all planned and all that, because then we don't need faith anymore. I mean, God still has to do his miracles here. We still have to believe that he's the one who's doing this. He's in charge. And isn't it that that matter of God doing those miracles and seeing him demonstrating his love and his power and his anointing on a, on a day-to-day basis that makes the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so, so incredibly real and attractive to the very people that you're trying to reach? Absolutely. Absolutely. And... You know, certain people can will come to the Lord with um, um, very little faith, right? So other people need to, other people need to see a miracle in order to be able to. Hey, um, well, I think I think of, of many of the scenes that we see of the first century church, even within the Book of Acts, we see amazing stories take place, yeah. amazing movements of God, demonstration of acts of faith. And on the heels of those events, almost without exception, here comes news that the word of what God did spread aboundly, and many people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of seeing the power of God moving amongst them. So I I guess in that regard, we're still seeing God work and move amongst his people in a very similar fashion even today, aren't we? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't believe that anymore. People say to me here in the West, Uh, How come God does always miracles there in Borneo or in Africa or somewhere else like that and he doesn't do it here? I go, well, just listen to yourself. You just say yourself you don't even believe in miracles anymore and you you want God to do a miracle now here. But you're not not even, even if he did, just like the people in Jesus' time, even right in front of their eyes he will do a miracle and still they'll crucify him. They didn't believe in him anymore. I mean, you still have people like that today. So, but you do, uh, there are there are instances where God has done an incredible, wonderful miracle at our place, and as a result, people have come to the Lord. We've had uh, young kids and, and uh, teenagers come to us as sick as anything. Uh, you've got to understand the whole culture there. Uh, there's a witch doctor in every, every tribe, every village. They have their own witch doctor who lords it over the people. So he holds the power over the people and puts great fear in the people. So um, lots of... Uh, I just recently, I'll, I'll share with you... A while ago, we had uh, a meeting with all our kids, and uh, I just felt that the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, um, uh, just just ask them this. And I said, who of you have got a grandmother or grandfather who was a witch doctor in this place, you know, that are still alive or maybe they've passed away already? I said, who, who, who had a grandmother or grandfather? A lot of kids put up their hands. I said, come forward. I said, you stand over there. We're going to pray for you in a minute. 
said, and who of you have had a father or mother that were or still are a witch doctor? And a number of kids put up their hands, and I said, you come forward, you stand over there, we're going to pray for you. I said, now how many of you guys actually are supposed to be the next witch doctor? And a number of kids put up their hands, and I was really shocked at this. And I said, do you want to be the witch doctor? And they go, no, we want to serve Jesus. I said, okay, well, let's, we need to break this over your life now, then, you know, this hereditary thing that you've been passed from one generation to the other. And so we need, we're going to break that in Jesus' name. And so we did, and we, we prayed for them all, and we broke these things over their, over their uh, lives. And then this young girl came up to me, and she says, Pa, she said, I don't think Jesus can save me. So why do you say that? She goes, because when I was a baby, I was already offered to the spirit world by the witch doctor. I was placed in his hands and he lifted me up to the spirit world. And so I belong to the spirit world. I don't think Jesus can save me. I said, well, I've got news for you. He sure can save you. That's why he brought you here, so that he can break this over your life, to break this curse over your life, so that you know, so that you will know that you are a child of the Most High God. So we prayed for her there, there and then with all of us. She started to cry and and uh, after a while she started to laugh but after that she knew that 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 you know this over her life was broken and that she knew she was a child of the most high god and god had a plan and a purpose for her life now and then this young fella come up to me he says pa he said my dad is a witch doctor and uh, he said uh, many years ago uh, we had this guy come into our village and uh, my father grabbed a knife, and he, and he was a guy we didn't know. He grabbed the knife and he stabbed him there to death, saying that he was the enemy. And he said, and then he dragged the body uh, to the middle of the village and put him in a drum uh, of water and uh, boiled him there in the, in, the, in the middle of the village. And everybody had to come out. Everybody had to view this. The little kids, the big kids, every all the adults all had to. And, he, and if the witch doctor says, you do this, then you better do that because if you don't, you dis- if you're disobedient to the witch doctor, then he places a curse upon your life and they fear that more than anything. So everybody viewed this, this guy being boiled there. And then when he was boiled enough, then the witch doctor said, okay, you eat now. So everybody had to eat some of this guy. I mean, I... When he was sharing that with me, I thought, oh, my goodness, I would have never thought by just looking at this kid that he had already been through some of this sort of stuff. And um, then uh, because they believe that if they eat some of the, the enemy's meat and some, drink some of their blood that they receive this sakti, they call, uh, which is super, they become supernaturally stronger than their enemy and uh, if they do go through this ritual. And then I thought, oh, God, I, just, I am just so... So grateful that you called KME so many years ago to come to this place, to build this place in the middle of nowhere, so that these kids and young people can come here and be rescued from this this evil demonic uh, area that they're in, you know, that there is a, a place of refuge, a place of, of, of rescue here for them, you know, and I just then I thought, you know, God, I'm just so grateful that we listened to you, that we were obedient to you, because if we hadn't have done that, this wouldn't have taken place here right now today. You know, these kids would have been still lost. And uh, and so I thought, God, you know, for all of us, all Christians throughout the world, how important it is to be obedient to God. Because if we're not, there's always others who are going to miss out as a result of our disobedience. I don't know how you feel about that, Craig, but I don't know. I just couldn't stand in, you know, uh, knowing that uh, later on when we stand in front of God's throne that I should have and I never did. I get people come to me now and say, Pastor Ronnie, can you please pray for me? Because 10 years ago God called me to do this and I never did because I just was too afraid or I 
or, or, or I, I chose to go my own way and and uh, but God has never ever I've still remembered that every day I should have listened and yes you should have why didn't you you know God will take you on a go on a merry-go-round if you if you don't listen he will take you back to the same spot come on guys you should be doing what I've asked you to do because other people are going to miss out otherwise and you'll never have a sense of true satisfaction you'll always I think be unsettled in your spirit if you're not obedient to exactly what it is that God has called you to do even if it seems to be the most bizarre strangest stretch of the imagination that you could never imagine yourself going there or doing this yet whom God calls he prepares and he equips and he will bless if you're obedient. At this juncture, let's pause in our conversation. If you've just joined us on this edition of Lifeline, our conversation today with Ronnie Habor, who was with us from Borneo. He's from Living Waters Ministries. A brief time out, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. If you've tuned in a bit late, a very special guest joins us today in studio. He is Ronnie Habor of Living Waters Ministries. He and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands have written a new book, The Amazing Story of What God is Doing in Borneo, the book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. Now, Pastor Ronnie, just prior to the break, we were talking a bit about some of the, the impact and the influence of witchcraft and the occult in Borneo. Tell us more about that. We had one young fella came to us and uh, he was very much in the occult and his whole family and in fact the whole village there uh, we tried two years to plant a church there and I remember the first time I went into the village there and we we slept overnight there and um, I was under a mosquito net and I was sleeping but in my sleep uh, it was as if um, somebody had a hand on my throat and was choking me and I couldn't breathe anymore in fact, I couldn't breathe in my sleep, so I, w- I woke up as a result of this, and I sat up on the floor there under my mosquito net, and I couldn't breathe because I felt this hand on my neck. Actually, it was real. And so I just couldn't breathe, and I couldn't say anything, and all of a sudden I shouted out, Jesus, and straight away the hand left me. And I realized that the, you know, the demonic forces here were very powerful. And that place there, th- th- it was just such a blanket of evilness over the entire area there. And uh, this young fellow eventually from this area, uh, from the Matei tribe, um, he, they brought this young fellow who had, to be, uh, who had um, typhoid, uh, already quite advanced typhoid, to our place. And we put him in hospital. And then as a result, uh, he really got, went from bad to worse. And uh, we gave him all the medication and all that. But anyway, he needed uh, a blood transfusion, which we didn't have. Send him off to uh, cut a long story short. We, get, we got him this operation eventually after a couple of uh, weeks and uh, he, he, he came through, he pulled through and uh, came to our place a couple of weeks later, weighing only 30 kilos, walked in my door, he fell on his knees and he says, Pironi, what do I do in order to receive this Jesus? He came to me in a vision. He showed me that he's the one that I should be following. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this this fella called Nuno, he... Um, we brought him back to health. He had huge bed sores. He could put your whole fist in there. I didn't think that they were ever going to heal. And yet they were completely healed after a while. And he, he was fattened up because he weighed only 30 kilos. And once he was, after six months, he was 
as good as gold. He was uh, fattened up a bit. And uh, then I said, it's, it's time for you to go back to your village. And he goes, I want to. He said, I have something to share with them. So we took him back to his village. And he, in his own tribal language, shared the gospel message to his entire family, neighbors, everybody in the village there. And as a result, because in the beginning they didn't even believe that he, it was him. But they realized he had a cataract eye. They could see that it was him and a couple of tattoos that he had. But he was just such a different young fella. He was glowing with the Spirit of God upon him. you know. And as a result of him sharing in his own tribal language to his family and neighbors and the people in the village, so many people that day come to the Lord as a result of him sharing. And uh, now if you go back, you know, there's, there's this blanket of, of an open heaven there. I mean, I mean, there's such a contrast, such a difference there today. And his brother, his older brother, who was so in the old cult as well, he's now the pastor of his church there. So awesome to see. And that's why I say, God, you know, through miracles, the people will see the miracles that have been performed by the Lord and will believe the Lord as a result. I mean, I know some people need to see that. Others people, well, whatever you say, I believe it, you know. And uh, they, they are saved. But others, through a power encounter they will be convinced. And then they start as a doubting Thomas, and then once having seen, okay, I put my finger in the side of your flesh, and now I believe. So we've got witch doctors now that have come to the Lord as a result of some of these miracles that have taken place. And, and the miracles are not, you know, uh, things that are falling out of the sky or anything, but, but just praying for people. You know, I saw my people come to my kids when they were so wounded in hospital, and they laid their hands on my children and said, Child of God, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And miraculously, my kids got healed. Now, I always thought, well, if they can do it, they're Christian, they can do it. So can we then? So when we were in, in the villages here, uh, ministering to these people, and one of the witch doctors, uh, uh, his daughter was uh, sick with meningitis, was so badly sick. And we laid our hands on her and we just said, child of God, in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And uh, she didn't get healed straight away, but that evening she was healed. And the witch doctor then realized that his power is no match to mm. his God's power. And he came to the Lord, and as a result, he's now an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He's helped us plant three other churches in the region there, telling everybody about how great this and how powerful this God is compared to the power of the witch doctors. So, Looking back over this experience, 21 years now, what would you say if you think back to where you were at in your faith, in your day-to-day walk with Christ as you were leaving Australia to go to Borneo and then seeing what God has done. If you quickly just played that, that tape, that film back in your mind, Ronnie, what do you think are some of the, the biggest or most critical lessons that you've learned about the character of God that you think would be beneficial to share with our listeners? Um, I think I think when we say we believe, I think a lot of problems, a lot of people have a difficulty with that. What does that mean, believe? I mean, there are so many people that say they believe in God, but when I look at their example of their lifestyle, I don't think they really understand who God is. God wants us to know Him intimately. He wants us to have that relationship. He can't build a relationship with somebody 
if you never spend time with so that them. That really is the key difference. I mean, I, I believe that there's a president in Washington, D.C., and I've seen him on television, and I believe that he exists, but I do not have a relationship with him, and I cannot say that I know him because I don't have a relationship with him. Same thing when we, when we speak of God? Absolutely. And, uh, and so you've you got to be able to spend time with him. You've got to be able to spend, you know, and a lot of people say, well, how do you do I mean, I, I, I just think that's strange sometimes when Christians ask that, but in a way I, I understand as well. But so many people don't read the Word of God. You know, I, I just found out some statistics just before, a couple of months ago, that 80-something percent of Christians throughout the world don't read the Word of God, or once a month maybe. And I think, well, how does that work? I mean, I don't understand. You want a relationship with God? You want to? They ask me. They say to me, "God never speaks to me." Are you, well, hello. Are you reading the Word of God? God never speaks to me. Or, I never hear from God, or or God never shows me a vision. Well, are you hungry for God? Are you seriously wanting to know Him? Then read the Word of God. Pray, seek His face, hunger after Him. No. David was characterized as a man who had a heart after God, and clearly that passion has to be followed up by immersion into God's Word and into prayer and engaging in that faith walk that's willing to step out beyond the borders of my comfort level, beyond the things that I know I have control over. You spoke earlier of the fact that um, at the point at which you were preparing to leave um, Australia for Borneo, that you had a home that was paid off, you had money in the bank, that those kinds of things that we tend to sort of gather around us that give us a sense of, of safety and security. If something happens, I have a fallback plan. To step beyond all of that and say, here I am, there is no safety net, there is no fallback plan, the only thing that I have to rely on and in which to put my trust is very God himself, nothing more. I think that's the point at which we begin seeing God do the miraculous in our lives because we're willing to to surrender enough of ourselves that God can say, okay, now that you have begun to trust me a little let me show you ways in which you can begin to trust me a lot. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's true, exactly. And and God will give you those opportunities. Then you see, it doesn't just happen. You know, um, you, you got to take it, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, if you're asking for something, then you know, I often ask God, give me the experiences that I need to have in order to be able to grow in you. I mean, otherwise, how am I? How am I going to know? You know, uh, I, even at the point of spiritual warfare, and, you, and you've touched on this topic around the periphery, you're ha- going to have to understand that as you march into that spiritual warfare, you, you, you've got to go and you've got to reclaim that territory. The Bible goes as far yes. as to say we have to take it by force, we have to take it with violence in, in, in the spiritual realm. And a lot of people are afraid to go out and do that. We, we expect, you know, God is going to move and we just want to sit back yeah. with our arms yeah. folded and watch God to move and somehow we're going to be swept up in all of that. Yeah. When so often, at least this has been my faith walk experience, as much as we say we're praying and waiting upon God, the reality is that God is really waiting upon us. You know, and I think the other thing is that a lot of people question God about everything. And I think, I think if once people start to question God about everything, then it shows them really their level of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know... Also some confusion about the sovereignty of God. Yeah, you don't need to know everything. I've learned over the years that... Look, God is God, and so he does it the way he wants to do it. 
And so, I mean, it's like with my first wife when she died. She'd just become a Christian 18 months before. So after World War Three at our place, you know, I became a Christian way, way before that. And when I became a Christian, all these problems came in my house rather than was solved. You, you, you know, were so, gung-ho and she thought you were crazy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so, so um, but then I realized I don't need to know every. If, if, if I've surrendered my life to God, then God is the one who will lead my I want God to lead my life. You know, I want him to lead me by his Holy Spirit. And so I don't need to know everything. I don't need to know why he does what he does. He is God, and I trust in him completely. And um, and I'm sure, um, because he's my dad, that he that he that nothing will happen to me without his permission. You know, so I'm, one of my kids, or one of the local kids there, a couple of years ago said to me, Dad, it's three times now I've dreamt that they were going to shoot you. I said, no one's going to shoot me. No enemy's going to shoot me. I said, uh, um, without God's permission. I said, without God. I'm not saying that, he's, that I'm not going to be shot. I'm just saying without his permission. God will decide when it's my last day. I believe that if we're in the will of God, then he decides when it's our last day, not the enemy. So, um, but we need to, you know, it's up to him. Um, he calls us to do certain tasks and he gives us all the resources when we believe that and we step out in faith. He gives us all the resources that we need, that we require in order to complete the task. We don't have to doubt God for that. We know that he will do that in his timing. Sometimes we think God's a little bit slow. You know, we'll have to remind him now and again, but all that. But again, that's also a, a time of of, of uh, our faith growing, testing our faith to see where we're at with all that. But um, uh, God is there. He loves us immensely, and he wants to use us, and he does, if we allow him to, if we surrender to him. And so we don't need to question God about everything. I mean, there's a lot of things. I often say, you know, I don't understand why God does, why he took my wife, or why he does this, why he does that. Why does God heal one person when we pray for them in Jesus' name and the other one not? We've, I've got children in my place. God has touched their kidneys. Their, their kidneys were shot to pieces, and God gave them new kidneys. That even the the specialist, the kidney specialist, said, well, "This is a walking miracle here, a walking miracle, brother." And and yet another one died in my arms, an eight-year-old little girl with shot kidneys, and she died in my arms. Well, God, why didn't you save this one? Well, I don't. God doesn't need to explain Himself for whatever reason. He's allowed that to happen now. You know, we're we're there. You know, under His under His guard, under His protection, under His authority, and so He's our Father. And I often say, you know, later on when I when I die, when I get to heaven, I'm going to make the Lord a nice cup of coffee and I'm going to ask him all these <laughs> questions. You know, maybe I'll get the answers, yeah. maybe not. But, you know, don't, don't need to question God. Just do it. Just, just trust. Just trust. Just get out there and do it. Ronnie, we appreciate you coming in and sharing. And for the benefit of our listeners who would like to hear more of this amazing story, The Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, um, you can get a copy of the book by going online to livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. Ronnie Habor from Living Waters, thanks so much for dropping by and sharing, brother. Thanks for having me, Craig. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We all 
since 9-11 have become alarmingly aware of uh, what is going on in the Muslim world, particularly on the fundamentalist end of things. Um, and as much as we're concerned about the threat to America's safety and security, the American way of life, imagine what people living underneath the oppressiveness of Islam is like in the Middle East. Most difficultly, we have seen many of these stories of women who have been charged under Sharia law courts and have received multiple lashings, uh, situations in countries in the Middle East where women are denied what we consider to be pedestrian of the basic human rights, the opportunity to uh, uh, drive a car, be involved in the elective process, even in some cases receive a basic education. The need, of course, ultimately is to share the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ with these women. And joining me right now is a lady who's done just that, working with her husband as a missionary in the Middle East for almost a decade. Um, They, in fact, to this day, remain actively involved in reaching the unreached people in the Middle East and around the world, bringing the gospel to Muslim women. And Audra Shelby with us on the program tonight. Audra, thanks so much for taking time to join us. Audra, uh, Craig, I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. You have written a book detailing your experiences behind the veils of Yemen. And of course, we've heard some uh, news in recent months here with Yemen once again back in the news. Uh, we hear at, at, at fleeting chances the opportunity for stories about life for people living behind the Islamic curtain, so to speak, particularly difficult so for women. That's right. And I've been blessed with being able to tell my story and getting behind the veils and visiting and getting into the lives, sharing the lives of these women. Tell us a bit about your experiences. Give us a bit of a a perspective, if you would. When we hear stories about, well, in certain countries, women are not allowed to vote. Other places, they can't drive. Uh, Women are not allowed to be seen in the company of other men unless it's an immediate relative. Uh, Can't go to school. We think of the stories that came out of Afghanistan and the tail end of the regime of the Taliban. Are the levels of extremism, of the lack of rights that women have behind the Islamic curtain, behind the veil, uh, that severe? Uh, it depends on the country and, and the area of the country. In Yemen, women did have the right to vote, and they were allowed to drive, but it all depended on permission of their husbands and support of their husbands. They were always subject to their husbands. Um, I had friends that were not allowed to go to the market or go out in, in the afternoons. They were required to stay indoors unless their husband gave them permission to leave. So you would, I did not know of a woman that was publicly uh, punished like you hear in Afghanistan or in some of the other countries, but I knew women that were beaten by their husbands and who could not uh, go out and visit other women because their husbands were too afraid they would run into a man. And then this justified based on Islamic teaching and Sharia law, but in reality, what, just a thin excuse for for, uh, male chauvinism uh, on, on steroids? Possibly, I think we have to understand, too, that women, for a woman to go into paradise, a lot of it is based on how well she obeys her husband and how well she raises good Muslim sons. So it's more than just what her husband requires. It's what she feels like she must do in order to achieve paradise. So there's a sense of religious duty behind a lot of this. Yes, there is. And for the average Islamic woman, uh, let's talk your, your directly to your experience in, in Yemen. Give us a thumbnail sketch. What's, what's life like for a woman? 
Well, let me take you to a bride, okay, who's, who's very excited about the three days of her wedding. She's going to be feted and celebrated by the other women. Ceremony will take place between her husband and her father. She does not attend the actual ceremony at the mosque. She is, for three days, her hair is done, and she's so excited, and girls look forward to the day that they're going to leave their father's dominion and have a home, and they dream of the love that they're going to get from their husbands. They're full of romantic dreams. Now let's flash forward a year later and see the same girl and who has no dreams in her eyes. And I tell about this in Behind the Veils of Yemen, meeting a girl who was just, you could see she'd become so disillusioned and so unhappy a year later, realizing she'd only left her father's dominion for her husband's dominion. Well, talk about a stark contrast against the, the Western ideal where women are involved in planning every detail uh, of the wedding and the ceremony and uh, the experience, uh, you know, that everyone will enjoy there at the wedding and, of course, the following reception. And, and you're telling me in some Islamic countries the women are not even invited to their own wedding. <laughs> well, it's, it's a very different scenario. The women have these big parties where they get together for about three days. There's three days generally. Um, and each day the, the bride wears a different color. And then the third day, the white day, she wears a white wedding gown just like you would find here. And she has this big party and the women are all treating her like a princess. She sits on a special chair like a throne. And then after the actual wedding ceremony takes place between her husband and or her future groom and her father, then because the, the men are all partying separately, the, her husband and the men come in this great convoy of honking horns and they come to pick up the bride and take her to her new home, to her husband's home, um, a lot of times with his family. And that's how her married life begins. And so it begins with uh, great excitement and anticipation, and, and sadly sounds like after a while it ends up being uh, as an oppressive atmosphere uh, at home with her new husband as maybe she had to deal with at home with her parents. Yes, yes, and a lot of times I think that's the way it worked works out in what I've seen among the women. Let's pause for a moment. We'll come back to our conversation. Audra Shelby with us today. She's author of Behind the Veils of Yemen, How an American Woman Risked Her Life, Family, and Faith to Bring Jesus to Muslim Women. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking with Audra Shelby, which, by the way, is not her real name. We're just kind of helping to protect her anonymity because uh, she has, for over a decade, been involved in sharing the good news of the gospel with Muslim women. She has a new book out called Behind the Veils of Yemen, How an American Woman Risked Her Life, Family, and Faith to Bring Jesus to Muslim Women. Audra, when we think of the level of oppression within Islamic society, particularly in the Middle East, and Sharia law, and so on and so forth, and a lot of this both religious and cultural, um, Clearly, uh, life is pretty mundane and pretty oppressive for women. I would suspect that into that atmosphere, interjecting the good news of Jesus Christ must have been, I would imagine, regarded as a, a tremendous hope for these women. Wouldn't it be? Well, you would think that. Now, even as poor and as, as needy as the women were, they looked on me as an infidel and as inferior to them. And so even at the beginning, they have been told, a lot of them are illiterate, 98% of Yemeni women out in villages are illiterate. 
don't know how to read or write or add or subtract. So all they know about their religion is what they have been told, and all they know about Christianity is what they've been told or what they've seen in American films. So their concept of American women are that we are immoral, corrupt women who sleep around and don't love our children. So when I would see them and they would meet me or meet a Christian face-to-face for the first time, they were totally stunned that I wasn't who I was supposed to be, that I was very different from what they had been told. So it wasn't this hunger to know. It was at first a disdainful attitude and then to realize, wait, you're not the person that, that you're supposed to be and then wanting to know what the difference was, why I wasn't that person, and then seeing a strength in me so many of my friends, and I tell about instances in Behind the Veils of Yemen where they would say, Auntie Gawia, you're, you're strong, wanting to know why. Why wasn't I afraid to ride in a taxi with, where there was a man? Why wasn't I fr- afraid of being sick and, and dying? Um, and that opened avenues to share with them. Uh, why I wasn't afraid because I walked with Jesus. So you really had to initially move from dispelling a lot of the misconceptions that no doubt are very much played up in Islamic media and uh, certainly by the imams and mosques and the men and so on and so forth to paint this very negative, vile picture of what Western women are all about. So you overcome that, that misconception and then in that process, I mean I would imagine as we regard and see the teachings of the the the, uh, the God small g of Allah within the Quran and the Hadith to be this ruthless, bloodthirsty, fearful, uh, vengeful deity, and then contrast that against the God of the Bible who sacrifices his very own son for forgiveness and reconciliation to the creation. I mean, you look at those two major differences between Allah of the Quran and the God of the Bible, and I would imagine that once they begin to see and and grasp some level of the stark contrast between the two, that must be eye-opening for them. It is. It's a slow process because they have to see it in me first because they are so... um they're so prepared, they're so keyed to the Bible being corrupt that they don't want to hear anything from my book. It's corrupted. They don't believe in my my Jesus of the New Testament because they have been told that all of it is lies. So at first, actually, they don't even want to hear it. And it's seeing something different in me and seeing the love and actually trying to almost sponge it out of me, squeeze it from me to fill their lives. That's what really helps them see see something's missing there's something i have that they don't um and seeing the limits of their religion when they're in in total despair um and wanting what i have in mind that has been more opening in their lives than just trying to to share um the truth of scripture i'm not saying not sharing this truth of scripture but i'm saying using it in everyday life using it constant as my reasons for why Uh, why I believe, why I'm strong, why I'm not afraid, why I love, why my husband loves me and is my friend, not my owner. In the end, give me kind of your your valuation of your experience there in Yemen for almost a decade. Well, it was... It was a wonderful time. It was probably the most challenging time of my life. It was sweet in its dependence on the Lord and seeing Him and knowing Him in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. 
it was, uh, I, I felt constantly drained just by the need of the women. I, I felt stretched to meet the needs, the emotional needs, the spiritual needs, the mental needs, even physical needs. Um, but it was such a, a rewarding time to know what it means to realize my strength is limited, but Christ's is not, that he is everything he says he is and is everything that I need and more than enough to meet any need. And and it it was a wonderful time of learning and growing in me, which I think in Behind the Veils of Yemen, I think I grew as much as the women that I met grew in in my ministering to them. In that sense, did it also, in your experience, draw you closer to the Lord? Um, particularly as you're seeing the, the major contrast, not just between uh, Western society and Middle Eastern society, but two of the major differences between the, the teachings of what is the, the lie of Islam and the truth of the gospel? Absolutely. I mean, we, we never lived in Yemen that there wasn't a travel warning against being there. And you had, I had to come face to face with who God is and walk totally by faith and totally dependent on Him for survival, for safety, for security. And it was, it was a sweet dependence in seeing Him and knowing that you are totally reliant on Him. I mean, His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. And it was a, it was a wonderful blessing to be able to experience that without the comforts that sometimes distract us from knowing Him. During that time, um, I would assume, Audra, that you had an opportunity to lead some of these women to Christ, even if it was done kind of uh, uh, quietly and surreptitiously? Yes, yes, I was. I was able to share scripture. I was able to share my faith. I was able to share the story of Jesus uh, with women many times, just in answering to their question. Um, and it was, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see women that have so much need to be loved and to be valued and have so many dreams of their own that will never be fulfilled by their religion to see and to have hope in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, uh, how startling the change, the contrast in their life? Well, you have to remember that it is a startling change internally and, and spiritually, but then they face um, reality. It's against the law for a Yemeni person, man or woman, to convert out of Islam. It is punishable by death, usually instigated by a family member. And we knew several people that were turned over to authorities by their own family, by their father, by their brother, by their husband, or by a wife. And then they go on severe persecution and torture in an effort to make them recant the Christian faith. So uh, women in Yemen especially are very, and men, it's a very social culture. Everything they do is communal. And to be cut off and shut off from their people, from their families, from their home is devastating. It's a real challenge to... uh, for them as they adapt and grow in their Christian faith to realize they've lost everything to follow Jesus. Clearly a, 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 a very sad and oppressive uh culture and, and religion, and yet one that, in spite of all of that, uh, can receive great freedom that comes through the saving knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ. Audra, we appreciate your time. Folks can get more information about this new book, Behind the Veils of Yemen by Audra Grace Shelby, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Those still exist, don't they, Richard? One or two, I think, yeah. <laughs> one. <laughs> and, of course, through Amazon.com. The book published by Chosen, again, Behind the Veils of Yemen, our special guest. Yesterday, Audra Grace Shelby. 
Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.